Welcome to the Sports Pro Podcast. My name is Tom Bassam and I'm hosting this week's episode because in the interview chair is my usual co-host, George Breer. Uh, the reason that he is in the interview chair this week is because we're going to be talking about the upcoming Sports Pro Live at the Kia Oval, taking place later this month. And I wanted to grill George because his day job is actually to put together the agenda for these events. I wanted to kind of find out a little bit actually what he does most of the time because I don't think really anyone understands it, let alone George himself. Uh, and to do so, uh, we're just going to spend, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes or so talking about how how, like, how these events come together, what what we're trying to do, and um, maybe even pick up some highlights from the event itself. So, uh, George, welcome to the show. Thank you, Tom. It's a very different experience being on the other side of uh, the proverbial microphone today, and definitely a nerve-wracking experience waiting to hear quite what the contents of my introduction was. As always, backhanded, just as I like it. <laughs> yeah, well, some things don't change, mate. Let's dive straight in. I want to get, firstly, your explanation, I think, because the people deserve an explanation. <laughs> um, <laughs> what is the thinking behind this year's Sports Pro Live? I mean, every year we try and do something a little bit different. We never like to produce the same event twice, or we let a load of executives and shout go. When you're kind of in the early stages of planning Sports Pro Live, what was the thinking behind the 2023 event? Well, this year, I think, was a particularly interesting one because sitting down with the team right at the beginning of the planning process, first thing that came to mind was that this is actually the 10th edition of Sports Pro Live. So we sort of started by looking back at some of the nine previous versions, the nine previous editions, and looking at really how we changed as a business, how the industry has changed as a business. And it very quickly became apparent that that had to be the central theme of this year's event. So we've built everything really around that central tenet of change. And it also, in the way that our business has evolved, become quite clear of four distinct areas of change that we wanted to look at. So the first is around industry change. That's sort of from the inside looking out. What are the industry themes, trends, challenges that we're seeing and that businesses have to respond to externally? So that might be the move to direct to consumer, the increase of OTT and streaming platforms delivering live sports rights. So Really, that's kind of the bread and butter of what we do and a lot of what our, our conversation typically centers around. But that also became clear that there was a, a customer angle to it. And that industry change is really underpinned by how society is changing and how the sports customer or the sports fan is changing. And that became our central theme. So looking at things like purpose-driven initiatives, the importance of improving diversity representation in the sports business industry, but also across sport itself and how those platforms are growing. And finally, we looked at tech change and how the role of tech enabled transformation, the role of emerging technologies and delivering a new fan experience and delivering sports in a new way. And finally, and really this sits across all of the previous areas I mentioned, organizational change. How can you be a better leader? How can you structure your business better to cope with the demands of that change? We talked about moving direct to consumer. Well, that suddenly requires a whole new internal team to be able to deliver that effectively. So how do you build that? And how do you really get people on board? And how do you get the organization on board with embracing that change and working with it, not working against it, which I think is a, a theme I've heard pretty consistently across all of our speakers and all the businesses we've spoken to in relation to the event. 
So you've got the, the sort of four pillars there. That's kind of like a nice big starting point. You've got that on a whiteboard. Where do you go in terms of being like, okay, this is what we want people to come to the event and take away. How do you take it from that whiteboard into the calls, the meetings, the agenda writing, into making it an actual onstage product, I guess, for want of a better term? Well, you're making the the erroneous assumption there, Tom, that there's rhyme or reason behind my approach. Uh, no, but in, in all seriousness, I think a lot of it was trying to be challenge-led. So looking at changes often seen as in a positive light, being progressive, almost heralding a new dawn. But actually, I think a lot of businesses would say that change is a really difficult thing to manage because there's balancing you know, the first mover advantage versus being left behind. There's a lot of risk that comes with embracing change as well. You know, Is this actually important? still in, in five years time. Certainly when we've looked at things like Web3, that's often been a centerpiece of that conversation is, is this a fad or is this actually the future of where we're going? So trying to solve those challenges and trying to answer those questions has been a pretty critical part of what we tried to do. We sort of started off by trying to look at the businesses that probably have embraced or embody that element of change mostly. We're very grateful and, and delighted to say that a lot of those businesses have, have come on board and will be a pretty significant part of the event. But also looking at those four areas, there's very distinct stories to tell, I think, across those four areas. And some of those are on an organizational level, but some of them are much more beyond that. And they're about bringing together parties or stakeholders from different sports and different segments within the sports industry and trying to bring them together to tell a narrative that almost supersedes their individual sport or their individual you know sponsorship involvement and tries to tell a story that's relatable for the entire industry as a whole so when it comes to planning out a single session say do you start with the sort of this is what we want this session to do and then try and plug speakers into that or do you start with a speaker or a business that you'd like to focus on and work the other way around we really start with our audience first, I think, trying to break that down into different segments, trying to understand who's going to be there and why they're there. What do they care about? What keeps them up at night? What value can we provide to them as a content delivery business? Obviously, there's more to our events than that. But with that content lens on, that had to be our primary focus. So we typically, therefore, break down what we look at as our keynotes. And those typically are organizations you can't ignore or individuals that you can't ignore and that have really compelling stories to tell. But then what sits below that in our breakout rooms, that really is thematically led. So we try and look at a particular topic in detail that we know resonates with a significant proportion of the audience or to a particularly dedicated subset of that audience. And then really it's the difficult part, which is trying to fit those pieces of the jigsaw together in the most compelling way. So making sure that we're not talking about digital transformation for two hours on end, for instance, or that actually we're not clashing and then we don't have sessions that cross over. So hopefully we sort of sit in the middle of that Venn diagram between topics and our audience and where they meet in the middle. That's the sweet spot that we're always trying to find. And what say happens if you get, you have a speaker that you want to include or is brought to you, but it doesn't quite fit with that change agenda. But you still you want to include them because you think this is a sort of an unmissable opportunity. Do you have to kind of make something fit, or do you simply go, no, I don't think that actually fits with what we're trying to do here, or doesn't appeal to our audience, so we might not go with it? How do you like balance those elements? Well, I think in, a, in an ideal world, you know, we try and look at opportunities that come across the desk slightly more holistically than just Sports Pro Live. So we might say to a certain business, "What's the story that you want to tell?" And what's the story that we think you should be telling? And there's typically a balance that's found in between those two mediums. I always like to see my job as 
I'm the pages where, you know, we have the writers that are sharing their words. So what is the best page to put that on? Is that a, a feature across our website or across our digital channels that works best? Is that if it's a, a more broadcast-centered client, for instance, or a more broadcast-centered speaker that we're approached with or organization, well, let's look at some of the other events across their portfolio and actually how do we tell that story in the most compelling way with the most dedicated audience that wants to listen to it? That's always the balancing act. So it's never really a question of black and white tick box. Yes, this works. Right, let's plug it in and move on. We try to be much more nuanced with that and, and put them where we think is the best possible place. There are obviously kind of challenges when it comes to doing that in the sports industry. And like one of the things we really try to do at Sports Pro is provide a pretty split gender balance on stage. Like I want to kind of get into talking about like behind the scenes of what goes actually into the speaker acquisition process. But can you just kind of, I don't know, I think to, to probably give our audience and listeners a bit of a uh, a picture of just how difficult it is to deliver that when it comes to making sure that we've got uh, the diversity of society represented at our events in an industry where perhaps it isn't always the most balanced. I think you put it in the perfect way. It's a representation of our society, not always of our industry. I think it's, it's a pretty open secret that the sports industry's got quite some way to go when it comes to improving diversity and improving societal representation on our stages. And I think we have a way to go there. It's, it's a battle that's never quite won, I think. There's a, a few things to say on it. One is that we're, we're definitely very heavily supported by some of the initiatives that we're seeing growing across the industry. We're seeing our clients and the organizations that we work with much more receptive to improving diversity on our stages. And we're seeing opportunities there that, that haven't previously existed or haven't been as clear cut to us as opportunities to have existed. Things like Sports Pro's New Era program, our steering group that have been fantastic mentors for up and coming women in the industry and emerging women in the industry. They've been a great resource for us to lean on, not just as themselves as speakers, but their networks, the opportunity for us to deepen our relationships across the industry and the new era class themselves for 2022. We've found that group to be really fantastic and welcoming of ideas, opportunities for them to be involved. And again, to open up their networks for that involvement. And I think really this event, we've talked a lot internally that, that we have to practice what we preach and we have to put together an agenda that reflects that change. And we spent some time looking back at previous agendas and, and we're proud to see that that change is being reflected. Again, like I said at the beginning, it's not fast enough. It can't really be fast enough. And we're working as hard as we can to increase the speed of that. But uh, it's 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 a good starting point. Yeah, I think that actually opens up the the sort of the next bit of this that I want to talk about, and like without going into too much of the the secret source of um, <laughs> of speaker acquisition and giving away all of their all trades, of, state secrets there, Tom. Exactly. Yeah. Like let's let's walk through kind of the the process. Let's start with the session idea or the keynote that you want to target, and how that comes to and like the nuts and bolts of how that comes to appearing on stage, like. I don't think people will be too interested in hearing about some of the individual meetings, but perhaps let's, let's, uh, <laughs> let's guide them. Let's guide the listener on that path a bit. Those who, who know me well know that I'm a, a fairly fanatical follower of sport in general. I love the drama that goes alongside. And I love the stories that are told alongside sport. I think they're so powerful. And that's really where I start is once we've mapped out what we want those sessions to look like, from a thematic point of view, we have a fantastic resource at our fingertips in Sports Pro in the website, and we try and really map the organizations or the individuals that tell those stories best. So one example I often talk about is Wrexham and the Welcome to Wrexham docuseries. 
a lot of the topics and change that we want to talk about, you know, the digital transformation of a business, the international expansion of a sports business and the opportunity for a, a small club to do things differently and to have the unfair advantage, I think, of flexibility, of agility um, and taking that almost like startup like approach towards their sports business. Well, a well-funded startup. Well, yeah, I, a lot of successful startups are. There's no hiding from that. But how sports can do things that, completely buck against the traditional trend or certainly are making strides that are against the grain of conventional wisdom when it comes to sport. It's a really interesting story for us to tell. And then that's actually about reaching out to the relevant people and trying to find an angle that sits in the middle of that Venn diagram of what you know the organization is willing to talk about, what they're interested in talking about, what we think is a particularly powerful story and how we can marry those two narratives together. And often they're the same thing. And when that happens, fantastic. You know, that's right in our sweet spot. But then if it's not, it's about marrying those two things together to, to tell those stories most powerfully. It's then also, we have to support some of the businesses. And it's not just a case of let's put you on stage and, and put a megaphone in front of you. It's, you know, what do our audience want to hear? What challenges are we hearing consistently? How can we work with someone like Chris Stone? our community lead, to hear what are the headaches that sports executives are facing on a regular basis and how can we find the clubs, the teams, the rights holders, the broadcasters that are solving those headaches or that are doing things that are solving those headaches and then sharing that with our audience. Let's go back to the welcome to Wrexham session. I'm, I'm right in thinking that that session actually started out as something that we were considering doing for OTT Madrid. Yeah. As you mentioned earlier, with the evolution of how those discussions went, it was sort of figured that actually that's probably better suited to being a broader conversation than just being something about broadcast, right? Exactly. It's a great way of putting it. It was just on the back of the release of Welcome to Wrexham Season 1, the incredible impact it had, and just from noticing across their social handles that before every game they were putting up the time zones where the games would be played there's not many national league football clubs that are, are worrying when indonesian fans can tune into their games and it all became about the impact of the docuseries and then quickly speaking to to sean harvey and and the team at Wrexham, we realized that actually that was almost just pandora's box the documentary had opened up all of these commercial avenues, the fan engagement angles, the completely new demographics of the club that hadn't previously existed. And it became about a much wider conversation and how you can take that innovative approach as a small club, how you can be agile, like I said earlier, and really what the next steps are. We've seen the proliferation of sports docuseries and actually we very quickly realised this is just a plug and play of what's been discussed before. But actually it's how do you build on that? The Netflix effect is talked about quite a lot. How do you actually deliver on the Netflix effect or, or the docuseries effect? That's where we are now. I guess the, one of the other kind of challenges that you and the, uh, and the content team have to deal with is, I mean, we're dealing with people quite a lot of the time. People have things going on in their lives. People have things that come up last minute that mean they can't speak. You're triggering me pretty hard here, Tom. This is the window where I dread the thought of that. For all our speakers who might be listening this year, please, please don't make George's life any harder. <laughs> yeah. But I'm always amazed actually by the agility that, that you guys show when it comes to dealing with these situations of like, 
okay, well, we've lost this person, but we need to kind of react. And how do we do that? When plans change, is there a playbook that you guys have? Is there a panic or is that all part of it? (sighs) You're going to expose me here, Tom, on the airwaves. But there's certainly that initial moment of, oh God, what what do we do now? But I must say throughout the whole process I've described, my my colleagues, the, the two wills in the content team have been superb in supporting on every level of that journey. And that's really the first port of call where we'll, we'll stick our heads together often with other members of the team, other members of the business and basically say, you know, this is the angle that we were looking for them to take. This is some of the narrative that they were going to explore. Can we think of, you know, other businesses that embody that just as well? And how can we get that word out there as fast as possible? So it really is, I think, about almost creating the sports pro hive mind in the immediate window after that happens and seeing if we can source an appropriate alternative. We can often work with our partners on that, work with other speakers on that, particularly if it's a, a case study that we're dealing with. But yeah, it's a it's about, I think, as many brains as possible working together. Many brains is probably a generous explanation for, uh, for, for this company. <laughs> All learning up to one. <laughs> a new element for this event this year and another challenge that you guys have had to deal with is, um, and I, I don't mean challenges in a sort of negative way, but like we're always looking to expand when it comes to Sports Pro Live. This year that's meant folding in the Black Book Motorsport Forum, which obviously for people that don't know, Black Book is our, uh, is our sister publication focused on the motorsport industry, very successful in its own right, as is the Black Book Motorsport Forum, which is just like a, a premier event for the motorsport industry. This year that's going to be on the day after Sports Pro Live at the same venue. Explain how that's come together and uh, let's find out a little bit about what we've got at BBMF this year. Well, Tom, you may be like me, a bit of a sports industry event nerd, which comes with the territory, but a lot of the thinking behind it as well was... You know, we have our biggest and we'd like to think our best sports pro live yet. It's our 10th edition. And how can we create an unmissable week of event experiences, of sports business event experiences? So it very quickly became apparent that the Black Book was a perfect fit as part of that, which gave us three consecutive days of, you know, great executives, great lineups, great activations and delegate experiences as part of that, that all concludes with the Sport Industry Awards on the same evening as Black Book. So we see ourselves as a business, as the destination, a destination to, to connect and inspire the industry. And by bringing together those different pockets of the industry, those different communities within the industry and giving them one central location to access that all, that really became the goal of the week. And, you know, unless I get too many of those emails that you mentioned a few minutes ago, hopefully we're going to deliver on that. Yeah. With Black Book, are you, when it comes to drawing up that agenda, is it the same kind of process or the same kind of narrative that you're looking to put in place, that that change narrative? I mean, because the motorsport industry is very, very different to the sports industry. It works in a different way. It has a different calendar. Some of the rhythms and some of the like the uh, processes and some of the challenges for the businesses are facing are the same, but they're quite unique in that it's slightly orientated differently. I mean, you Essentially, it exists in order to sell cars to people at sort of the root end of it all. What, what have we got to look out for at BBMF this year? It's important to recognise that they're very different events with a very different audience base. Lab and Motorsport is a community at its heart, and I think it has to be a community-led event. It's about putting the right people in the room and discussing what are their personal challenges and understanding their perspective on what they want to get out of it. And so that's a key part of the sort of information gathering process at the beginning. And I think, again, it's about as a team working together to understand 
there's not the same level of flexibility with the Blackburn Motorsport form that there is with Sports Pro Live. With Sports Pro Live, almost with the, the size comes the opportunity to delve into lots of pockets of topics, lots of different case studies that I think are really interesting and that can reflect wider trends in the industry as a whole. With a black book across one track in one day, you've really got to make sure that every single session is as relevant and with as many takeaways as you can possibly get. And it's about leaning into that community and leaning into that shared understanding of what that community cares about. It's about nailing that as much as possible. And I think this year there's there's lots of interesting things that are being covered. We're looking at Formula One and motorsports expansion into the Middle East, which I think is a, a really interesting and at times controversial topic and one that I'm certainly looking forward to hearing. You've certainly got to look at sustainability within motorsport. And I think this year we're really in a place where we can look at not just the top line sustainability stuff in terms of how you power motorsport, but actually looking at it end to end across the different elements. So what's the fan footprint? What's the freight footprint of motorsport? How's the calendar structured as well as just the future of mobility? And then it's also about curating environments where, you know, peer-to-peer discussion can take place around those topics and some of our roundtable discussions I think really uh, fulfill that. Before we sort of move on to talk about some other areas of the sports industry let's kind of go through some of the highlights from all three days. Start with day one and give me the one you're most looking forward to. Well there's a lot to choose from I will say that and those that are listening can take a gander at the full lineup on the Sports Pro Live website but you have to start at the top. I'm particularly excited for Mr. Sergei Palkin who's the CEO of Shakhtar Donetsk to talk about change but change in the face of conflict. There's no sports business really across the planet that embodies change and really all of those elements have changed more than Shakhtar Donetsk and the Ukrainian Football League. Some of the topics of discussion are FIFA essentially bilaterally cancelling their player contracts, suspending their player and coach contracts, which Shakhtar estimate have cost them north of 40 to 50 million pounds, which is a hugely significant sum. Not only that, but just on a human element, it's a truly extraordinary story. I mean, they talk about their home games, which are sort of quote unquote home games when it comes to European fixtures. They're played in Poland and other European cities, but their Ukrainian Premier League games are in Kiev and no fans can attend due to safety. I'm quoting from Ed Dixon in, in his recent feature with Mr. Palkin, but the potential for incoming rocket fire means that alarm systems are in place so players and staff can run for cover. And this disruption can mean that matches can sometimes last up to five hours. And it, I think it can be very easy, you know, from the safety of Victoria, looking at the sports industry from the outside sometimes to basically place over significance on certain innovations or certain changes. But this session really just really brings it back to, I think what the essence of sport is, it's about people, it's about fans and it's about those customers. And and, and it's a, a hugely moving human story at its heart. And I think it's a great way to kick off the event and a great way to provide some perspective as well in terms of some of the topics to come. Well, yeah, that should be a fascinating way to uh, to kick off the event. Just looking through the rest of the day, though, there's plenty of other things that we could pick out to talk about here, George. I don't want to scoot right to the end, but the one that caught my eye was inside the BBC's digital sports ecosystem. I mean, Barbara Slater, obviously leading one of the biggest sports broadcast divisions in the world and like that's not a sort of understatement the BBC is that big 
Give us a bit of an insider's view on that one. Yeah, so you talked about its size, but w- what I think is really interesting about the BBC is its breadth. When chatting to Barbara about the session, we've talked a lot about the different surfaces that the BBC use in their sports coverage. That can be radio, their online news platform, podcasts, live events, beyond live documentary content as well. It really is the home of sport, I think, in the UK. I'm really keen to understand how they adapt their different content formats and their different content topics to the different surfaces and how they map between them. It will be no surprise to anyone listening who's been tuning into this podcast for a while, but a particular story that I'm keen to hear about is cricket and how they've used the 100 so well and the role that free-to-air TV and free-to-air rights play in growing sports and the role that they have to play. So an example with cricket that I think the BBC is going to touch upon is we not only have the obvious live rights that is the the kingpin, I guess, in the 100 crown when it comes to the BBC's coverage, but how they've managed to partner that with so many other elements. So they've got their fantastic highlights packages that sit across BBC iPlayer, but also sit across their online news sites and form a centerpiece of that. They have the live text coverage as well, which highlights are embedded in. I think that's a fixture of many people's sports consumption. Then they also have their podcast. So they've taken something like Tailenders that has been a success for many years now and has attracted a significantly different audience demographic to the sport because it's an intersection of popular culture and sport. It has music really at its core. And they brought that tailenders group into the live broadcast coverage. And I think the way they can marry those different surfaces together and they can bring different demographics to a sport means that they're a hugely compelling destination for challenger sports brands, emerging sports brands, but also sports that are looking to engage with a different demographic. We've seen the NBA moving their live rights onto the platform in recent months. And I think you can see more and more why that's happening. I'm really interested to hear about that. And then I'm also interested to hear how we've talked about the 100, for instance, moving to free to air. That's not an exclusive carriage deal. There's still pay TV covering the majority of the 100, but actually it can't be church and state. It can't be, you know, is it just pay TV or is it just free to air? It's actually how you marry those two together that can create a truly compelling sports property Um, and how they're doing that successfully with cricket and other sports. I'm really looking forward to hearing. Yeah, there's another really interesting session. I'm looking forward to that day, which is uh, Brighton Hove Albion community led sponsorship hosted (laughs) by yours truly. But we don't need to spend too long on that. Looking on to Wednesday. Again, we've, we've talked about welcome to Wrexham, so I don't think we need to go too much into detail there. But perhaps if there's another one from day two, if you could pick it, pick one out for us, George. Well, one that certainly catches my mind, Tom, um, again, kicks off the morning's agendas is with Andrea Radrazani, um, non-executive director at DAZN, and that is hosted by Joe Markowski, who's the CEO for North America for DAZN. Now, DAZN has been a topic on a lot of people's lips in the last few months, particularly given some of the rumours around a potential partnership with the EFL and ending the 3pm blackout. And we heard from Kevin Mayer, former chairman of DAZN in the US. And I'm really interested to see what comes next for DAZN. We've seen some pretty pretty significant, but not necessarily groundbreaking rights acquisitions in recent months. The IPL has been brought onto the platform, but there's still that carriage deal with Sky. Again, as I mentioned, there's the potential for the EFL. So I think it's going to be really interesting to see how the zone is evolving and really whether it's ready to take its seat at the big table, I guess. And is it here to stay? Is it really going to disrupt the broadcast market to the point where it's impossible to ignore? 
or are we still in that sort of that challenger broadcaster mode? Are we still looking at like an upstart brand? I think it's it's treading the line between the two. And I'm really interested to see and to hear from Andrea and Joe what the next steps are and how it can really go to the next level. And I guess the reason that Andrea is even there is because the zone acquired Eleven, which is another challenger media brand, which Andrea Rizziani set up himself. So, yeah, I think that will be a, a really interesting one. Not only to hear about design, but to hear about Eleven and to hear about how that all kind of came together too, because like they they were very much kind of rivals competing for certain rights in certain territories at the same time. So, so much to sort of unpack there. I mean, we could spend all day talking about the agenda, but if you just want to pick out maybe one from the rest of Wednesday and also then we'll have a look at Black Book 2. One more that I, I wanted to, to pinpoint was Alex Willis, formerly from Wimbledon and now at the Premier League, talking about the evolution of Fantasy Premier League as a fan engagement tool. I think those that use the, the Fantasy Premier League app on a regular basis will notice a few changes have taken place over the last six weeks or two months or so, a rise in push notifications that are totally unrelated to Fancy Premier League. That Fancy Premier League app is becoming much more of a one-stop shop for all things Premier League related, that it has the opportunity to access broadcast um, directly through the platform, scores, fixtures. It has insights, pieces, analysis. And I think it's expanding all the time, the capabilities of that app. And I'm intrigued to see whether that's the start or, or heralds the beginning of a greater focus on going to direct consumer for the Premier League and how they can bring different pockets of their audiences from what at the moment are quite disparate parts of their ecosystem and how they can bring them under one roof and inevitably what the, the data capture opportunities are when it comes to that. Yeah, that journey from being just an app that a, a property has into being sort of more of a real tool for fans is, is one that's been undertaken by the NFL, it's been undertaken by the NBA and there were some reports this weekend actually in the UK that the next right cycle might be the last right cycle that the Premier League shuns that direct-to-consumer approach and by setting up Fancy Premier League in this way they've really kind of set a pretty good platform for establishing that direct-to-consumer service I mean pretty much everyone I know plays Fancy League and the fact that they'll have data on all of those customers as like the business likes to call them or fans as most people like to be referred to is pretty good for the business now then like Black Book we could Again, look through the whole day here, but let's pick one session. The most important she has to look forward to. You're asking me to choose between my children here, Tom. This is very difficult. Um, but uh, again, I, I think it's, it's very difficult to choose because the, there's the, the topics that I think are really relevant to a huge audience looking at, you know, the tech powering F1's digital transformation and particularly the the changes that are taking place in Formula One and looking at the digital transformation, not just of the property as a whole, but of the teams that underpin that and the huge growth. But I'm, I'm really interested to, in the final session of the day, which is looking at what the future of motorsport looks like, where we have representatives from IndyCar, from E1 and from McLaren Applied looking at different stages that they're on as part of the mobility journey and what the future of motorsport mobility looks like it's you know as something we always try and curate when we're doing these panel discussions is three businesses with distinctly different journeys when it comes to the future of mobility whether that's you know hybrid looking at the electric model or whether that's fuel powered as where we currently sit i want to hear from them why does it matter from their point of view when we look at it's immediately it follows immediately our discussion on sustainability in motorsport and if you know the powering motorsport and and the fueling of motorsport is a fraction 
of the overall emissions of a championship? Does it really make any difference to say we're going to move to either going hybrid powered or we're going to move towards electricity when, you know, we're traveling from the US to Saudi Arabia, then back to Italy, then to Texas, then to Canada, you know, and then all the way back into Australia. You know, we're talking about drops in the ocean there when it comes to sustainable impact. So I'm intrigued to hear the argument as to why the future of mobility matters. It's something that we hear often um, over and over again um, in the discussions we're having. But why? Lovely stuff. All right. Well, I think that's a pretty good place to leave part one. Um, if For those of you that have had your uh, whistle wet by what we've just been talking about for the last uh, half hour or so, it's still very much possible for you to attend Sports Pro Live. In fact, I've got a little discount code for you. If you want to buy a pass for one or two days, then you can head to the Sports Pro Live website and you can use the code POD20 for a 20% discount on standard and full access passes. I'm legally obliged to say that terms and conditions apply and it's not a applicable to pre-existing purchases so please don't shoot me if you've already bought a ticket and you didn't get that 20% off should have listened to the podcast well I might be biased but I think it's worth it even if you didn't <laughs> uh, and we will be back with part two to talk about some news all right well um we're now going to dig into just a couple of interesting narratives from the sports biz world in the last week and I know George another one that you're going to be particularly interested in here was the uh, the bumper IPL ratings that we've seen early in the new season. This is particularly interesting because, of course, it's the first weekend, not only of the new season, but of the new domestic broadcast deals. So for those who haven't been listening to the podcast or haven't been following this story previously or under the, on the previous cycle, Disney Star had the rights to all of the IPL. That was put on their Hotstar product and also on their pay TV channels. The new deal was agreed last year and saw Disney retain the rights to the linear games on traditional broadcast. So they'll still be on their pay TV channels. But Viacom 18, which is a, um, a joint venture between a few different entities, mostly Paramount and Geo Reliance, taking the digital rights, which is a bit of a shakeup in the Indian market and in a place where mobile data and streaming is actually fairly prevalent because it's because because of the low cost needed or required in order to gain the reach but the massive reach that's available in india is a fairly significant deal and i mean these are we're talking about multi-billion dollar deals here that puts the ipl on a per game standing alongside the nfl and the premier league george i'm guessing is a IPL fan yourself, you'll have had your interest piqued by this story. Yeah, for sure. This weekend that's just been was part of a I think a, a bumper weekend of sport with two all four, but two in particular fantastic IPL games. You can see why the numbers are where they are. I'll just briefly rattle through them because I think the numbers are worth spelling out. So this is from the opening day of the season. 140 million live viewers on Star Sports, Disney's confirmed. That's 29% up year over year with consumption up 47%. 1.47 billion total video used on Geo Cinema, which is the Viacom 18 product that's being used to stream those games. 50 million user downloads of Geo Cinema on that IPL opening weekend. What that says is that people are tuning into this in more ways than ever before, but also very capable and willing to find new ways in which to, to, to access the IPO. Yeah, so there's so much to pick out from that. The overall numbers that you talked about, the 29% increase in terms of viewers, same with Geo Cinema, with their video views, they're often called vanity metrics, right? But what sits behind them is incredibly powerful watch time statistics, looking at an increase of nearly 50% on Sky, 60% on Geo in terms of watch time. So not only are viewers flocking to the platforms where they're staying to watch the games, and you talked about it being 
part of the opening weekend, but that was a pretty dismal opening weekend in terms of results and competitive, I think, competitive interest. Um, They're fairly one-sided game. So it's fair to say that IPL fever has gripped India. I think a, a big part of that is the return to home stadiums for the first time since 2020, which really makes a huge, well, 2019 even, which makes it a huge impact on local levels. I, and I watched Mahendra Singh Dhoni, Dhoni's first game back um, in Chennai and even sat in the comfort of my hybrid home, you could hear an absolute tidal wave of noise um, as he greets the crease and and any shot is almost like they've won the World Cup final. It's, It's incredible atmosphere just to see on the other end of the screen and that's tens of thousands of miles away here in the UK. I can imagine local levels of interest are huge. Also, for the edition's first ever split between linear and digital, it's a huge vote of confidence, I think, in Firecom 18's massive purchase of the digital rights, one that I think many industry commentators saw was pretty overpriced. I think that the prices were basically matched between linear and digital, despite linear leading sort of 80-20 split on viewers. But looking at these numbers from Joe Cinema we're looking at a redressing of that ratio far more in favour of linear. Um, 50 million user downloads as well. It really does provide the opportunity to aggregate that huge Indian audience that's available online on their mobile phones. And if you can get the advertising model right, I think it's a huge benefit for Geo and certainly going to be a big battleground between Disney and Geo to, to come. Yeah, I think the, the the point there you made about advertising revenue is interesting because one of the announcements ahead of the season was that Geo Cinema and the IPL games in particular were going to be made available for free so that's going to massively boost the number of downloads but also the viewership figures and provide a bit of competition for disney which like obviously they're they're providing a different service this is a traditional tv product for them they're now being faced with okay well our competitors are giving like giving away these same things for free what are we going to do they've said they're going to put a select number of those games on their sort of free to air channels so they're not going to be behind a paywall but it's um yeah i guess it creates a kind of level of competition around the ipl which we've not seen before yeah when i talked about the bbc session at sports pro live we talked about that blend between free to air and pay tv it's for very different reasons cricket in the uk is being about increasing eyeballs to grow the game because it's in a bit of strife when it comes to engagement there are no such problems um across the sea um on the subcontinent where cricket really reigns king so Disney are clearly anxious, I think, about the the opportunity that Geo is taking to aggregate a huge level of Indian audience. And really, it shows that advertising is going to be the primary route that they're both looking at for monetization down the line. And it's actually the battleground's not necessarily going to be a financial one for the season. It's going to be about who can bring in these massive audiences. So The numbers that you quoted at the top there, Tom, I think that's just the tip of the iceberg and we're going to see records tumbling over the coming days and weeks, particularly as the tournament develops. One final thing on the IPL and and Geo Cinema in particular, I was interested in the branding for this, right? The Viacom 18 product is Geo Cinema. That says to me that this isn't about necessarily sports. Like This is about something bigger than sports. This is about their whole media product because they've managed to engineer 50 million downloads from essentially the IPL opening weekend that means that they've got sort of the, the the point of this product and the point of that purchase was not just to be like okay we want to be a big player in the sports but, but it's really establish a new streaming product and a big big yeah a, a digital product for the whole of the indian market we well, talked about one of their key partners at geo which is paramount 
um, and the entertainment opportunities of Paramount Plus. The IPL brings the audiences to the platforms, but it's things like the huge suite of entertainment services and films, for instance, that Geo Cinema has, that Paramount Plus has when it comes to their content. That's how you, you're going to get them to stick and how you're going to mitigate against churn. The deal was first announced, we talked about it, it was a huge play and a, and a very bold play from Geo. And the proof in the pudding will be, you know, can they make these users stick? And can you see these audiences on the platform year round and not just limited to, you know, bilateral series or, or IPL windows? So, George, final one I wanted to hit on today was the... UEFA financial report, which was released last week, but I mean, financial reports themselves are fairly dull. What interested me about this was the growth in revenue from the Women's Champions League. So the UEFA Women's Champions League has been sort of transformed in the last couple of years, way more commercialised. UEFA selling packages around it individually. Obviously, it's got that big rights deal with the zone, which might not be the most financially rewarding, but has definitely really boosted the product from a sort of marketing perspective and a distribution perspective. And yeah, it was confirmed by UEFA last week that the UEFA Champions League in the 2021-2022 season brought in 15.2 million euros in revenue, an increase of 13.8 million euros the previous year. I, I think we've we've talked a lot about the the growth of women's sports and the, the revenue potential of this. I mean, obviously that's still a long way short of what the, the Champions League brings into the competition. But I think what it goes to show is the sort of the proof that if you do things properly when it comes to women's sports and basically do properly what hasn't been done properly for so long, that there's a massive commercial opportunity and that there's it's really sort of a goldmine that people are sitting on that is still yet to be realised completely. Yeah, for sure. It was interesting when they released the figures that they said that they could, they were confident that they could identify untapped resources to grow Women's Champions League revenue in the future. But it strikes me that there's no need to completely reinvent the wheel here, that the growth is com- the growth is there and it's building and it's coming. It's just a case of harnessing that properly. And as you say, when you do and you make the relevant investments, I think UEFA have claimed it's around 25 million that they've invested in the last year um, into the women's game that the rewards do come and they they're coming with a greater proportionality than ever before yeah of that 25 million so they said that 10 million was being taken straight pretty much from the from the men's competitions and they've invested an additional 15 million themselves uh, the, i mean it's still yet to be profitable but I think that like, I think that's probably absolutely fair enough in terms of where that that, that competition's at now i mean probably not if they'd started doing this many years before but like given that given the sort of increased importance that's been placed on it rightly in the last few years that to me is not a surprise but when we're sort of talking about the sort of ceiling here so the cumulative revenue for uefa was was past 4 billion the like the champions league and the the europa conference league and the europa league are going to make up bigger chunks of that as well as the the national team tournaments but yeah, just quickly, I think it's probably a nice point to note anyway, that the, the sort of growth there and where we think we, this could go next. And it's, you know, the 2021-22 season, already DAZN releasing some of their figures from the 2022-23 season, where we're seeing a 42% increase in terms of the group stage viewers, up to, to 20 million viewers watching the free-to-air coverage of the group stages. So it, this is not just, you know, so much of the conversation around this is, you know, 
know, post Euros and the, the huge wave of interest that generated across Europe. This predates that. And actually, this is a, just a tiny, it's the tip of the iceberg, isn't it? We're coming into an era where those numbers are just going to increase and they're going to increase at pace. Absolutely. Something we'll be tracking at Sports Pro this season for this, this deal and sort of where the Women's Champions League and elite European women's competition goes next. Especially with Arsenal in the final this year, hopefully. Oh, now he wants to talk about Arsenal. <laughs> um, all right. I think that's probably a good place to wrap it up. George, thank you very much for uh, finally explaining to me what it is you actually do for a living. And um, we'll be back with another episode next week. Looking forward to it. And it's your turn on the grill next week. Thank you.